kind of a kind of a weird question. Probably a question most people don't get asked very often. But the question I want you to to think about is are you willing to live for Jesus? Now you're like, well that doesn't sound that's not a very hard question. Sounds like an easy question, right? Well, here's the thing. I think most of us are willing uh are more familiar with the question, are you willing to die for Jesus? gets brought up a lot, you know, are you willing to give your life for your faith? But honestly, I think most of us would be willing to say that we die for him. I think even those who would, you know, take the uh, the humble route and say, well, no 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 tell until I get there. You know, I think people who have given their their life to him uh already would would say, yeah, I would. But honestly, I think that Asking whether or not we would die for Jesus is actually the easy question. I think that's the easier question to answer. You know, to die for Christ, that's kind of a a one-moment deal, right? doesn't matter how you live today. doesn't matter how you live tomorrow. doesn't matter how you live next week. All that matters is that one moment when someone says, do you still believe in Jesus? All you have to do is say yes. And then a few minutes later, you're in the presence of your Lord. So I think that's an easy question. I don't think that's the proper question. I think the real question is, are you willing to live for him? Because then you have to ask yourself that question and be willing to make a sacrifice day by day, moment by moment, circumstance by circumstance. Not with one man holding a gun or an axe or whatever it is, but to every family member, to every employer, to every person who has any type of influence in your life, you have to answer that question. Are you willing to live for Jesus? But let's look at a. Let's let's look back at what we've been reading. So we've been following uh, Peter and John. Uh, they, were, they received the Holy Spirit, spoke in tongues, preached, and thousands were saved. And then uh, a couple days later, they, they found a man who was laying uh, lame at, at the gates of the temple, and they raised him up in the name of Jesus, and he was healed. So they preached again, and 2,000 more people came to Christ. So that was pretty cool. And then what happens? The religious leaders found out, and they grabbed him, and they threw him into jail. They threw him in jail, right? So they gathered together, and they asked themselves, what are we going to do with these guys? You know? Here's these dudes preaching the truth, and we know it's true because the guy they healed is standing right here, and he can walk. That's a new one. What are we going to do? We can't do anything. So they threatened him, said, no longer, no longer are you allowed to speak or to teach in the name of Jesus. And they threatened them. They threatened to beat them or whatever. It says they severely threatened them. They could go their way. They could live their life however they wanted. Just do not speak about Jesus. That was it. Simple thing, right? So we're going to be picking up right there from them threatening them and then releasing them back out. So in Acts 4, 23 through 26... 
It says, and being let go, they went to their own companions, and they reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they, re- they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, why did the nations rage and the peoples plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his Christ. So we're seeing that that scripture unfold that even the leaders and we're actually going to see kings later in Acts are coming against Jesus, not only to have him crucified, but now his followers. But we see these two. We see Peter and John who have made the decision to give their life for Christ. Moment by moment, opportunity by opportunity, free or in prison. And so they've they've stood fast in their faith. They've stood fast in their in their confession. Right. And so they were released. And notice what they did. They went back. It says they went back to their companions. And they did something very simple. They begin to share all that had happened. So I assume that means, you know, about them being locked up. I think that's hard to to leave out of a story. Oh yeah, I went to jail last night. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't tell you that last week. Or last week, last night. Doesn't make any sense. Anyways, you feel me. But uh but also all the things that God had been doing. All the people that had heard and believed. All the <laughs> you know, the the man who was healed and and raised up. And so he goes back to them and, and they draw together. And it says again, just like I said in Acts 2, that they were with one accord. And they begin to lift their voice to God and they praised and worshiped him, right? And they, they begin to pray together. And see, I love pointing this out, even though we've, we've already looked at it. I love pointing it out because over and over and over again, we're going to see this, that they go out and then they come back in. They share with each other and they begin to pray they begin to praise God. And it's, it's great because this is what being a church looks like, right? This is what it means to be a church. And it didn't matter if it was a Wednesday night or, or Sunday morning. It didn't matter when it was. They, you see them consistently coming together and just being the same thing that we are today, the body of Christ. And being the body of Christ, they, they simply act like it. They drew, they drew together, they praised the Lord, and they began to cry out. But I want you to notice how it is that they prayed together. You see, they were praying together primarily because of one reason. They knew that God in every circumstance is 100% fully in charge of everything. And that's something that we all need to understand, that in every circumstance, the good and the bad ones, God is fully in charge. When Peter and John were in jail, did, did, did God mess up? Did he let that one slip? Did he have it like... Rush, rush over and, oh, my bad, let me, uh, let me pick. I mean, I'll tell you what, you know what's really, like, not cool as a dad? 
is like when you're holding your son's hand and you're trying to like kind of be loose with his hand so he doesn't like freak out and try to rip it away from you. So you're walking and then he trips and you're holding his hand, but he tripped and he just face plants and you totally, his hand just slips right out of yours and you're like, uh, oops, <laughs> let me hold your hand a little tighter this time. Sorry. <laughs> you know, like totally happened to me like yesterday, by the way. So poor Josh. <laughs> he was just walking along and boom. But. So is that what happened with God? Was God like holding Peter and John's hands and like, oops, kind of face planted there. Sorry, you're in prison. Like, make that one up in heaven. No. God was fully 100% all the way in control of every one of those circumstances, and they knew it. And you can see that because of how they prayed. Notice they're not they're not praying a, a, a prayer of fear, but they're asking for an em- emboldenment. Look what they say in verse 27 through uh, 28. They continue their prayer, and they say, For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Hmm. Whatever his hand and his purpose had already determined. That means that every single moment of Jesus' life was already known, seen, and determined by God. Every single aspect of it. Not a single, not a single one of those Life events was an oops. God never let poor little Josh's hand slip, right? I'm not as good as dad is. God is apparently. Even his beatings and his crucifixion, that was not, those weren't small victories from Satan. You know, there are some people who, who think that like there's this constant battle between God and the devil. And that, now there is, there is a constant battle. But they think it's one where, like, they're on similar terms, right? Like, they're on an equal playing field, and they're trying to outwit one another. And every now and then, yeah, okay, yeah, God might win in the end. But every now and then, God, Satan kind of slips one past him. No. No, 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 no. God is sovereign and has all power and authority. And you re- read the book of Job. And God cannot even touch Job or his family without God's permission. What did I say? God and God. God cannot touch God's creatures without God's permission. That's also true. Satan cannot touch Job or his family without God's permission. He can't do anything. Right? So there's a war, but God is God is fully in control. Okay? I'll tell you what, I might, I might play fight with Joshi, but... There's not a whole lot of hope there for the poor kid, right? And so even in our weaknesses, even in the, in the, in the bad things of life, even in Jesus' beatings and crucifixion, it was all God's hand. Even in, in his suffering and death, God had a purpose. And the scripture says that it was whatever his hand purposed beforehand came to pass. God was fully in control. And I want to ask you something, uh, something else. Is that how you view God? 
do you view God as as the one and only all-powerful who is in control of every part of your life? Not do you know that up here in your head. I mean, is that really how you view him? When you cry out to him in prayer, is that the God you're speaking to? Because a lot of times, I think our fears get in the way of that. We think we might mess something up in God's master plan. Right? We think if we might step out in the wrong direction, God might let our hands slip. God has everything in your life in control. In fact, he's already seen the outcome. The attention that he gave to his son Jesus is the same attention that he has for you. So when you go out to serve, he's already ahead of you, preparing the way. When you fall and stumble, he's already one step ahead of you with his hand out to catch you because he already, he already knows. And we should have confidence in that. Confidence in that. It's interesting, you know, we've got the Living Word Bible School going on, and so we're talking about a lot in there, and I think everybody's starting to hate me on Monday nights. And uh, everybody laughs, so that's probably a yes. Um, and, you know, uh, having a lot of conversations with people outside of that just about different things, and it's, it's been amazing to me how everything on Wednesday night, sweetheart, can you go get them, please? Everything on Wednesday night seems to be adding up and seems to be matching these conversations I've been having with people and the things that we're talking about. And, you know, it's much easier for me to go out and share my faith. It's much easier for me to go out and to witness to people knowing that God is the one that's in control. That he's going to put me with people that are going to come to him. And he's going to put me with people that aren't. He's going to put me in, in front of people to witness to who are going to deny him. I don't know who. I don't know why, but I know that God is in control. And that means I don't have to worry about the work. And I don't have to worry about the outcome. I just have to be worried about, in, in, in the situations of my life, if I, am I being faithful, right? Are my eyes still on him? That's got to be our one concern. So is that how you view God? Is God fully in control of your life? Because the answer is yes, rather you realize it or not. And so these men, they came to him and they were worshiping and they were praying, even after being imprisoned, even after being threatened, knowing that God was in control and is in control going forward. So verse 29 through 30, they finish up their prayer. So they've prayed, they've they said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David has said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with all the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand in your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, 
Look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they might speak your word. By stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Now, this is where everything kind of comes together for us. Because I want you to notice, what, what did they ask for? Right? That up till now, they've just been declaring things to God. They've been declaring to God his own faithfulness. They've been declaring to each other and to God that they know and acknowledge that everything is in his hands. And now they ask, what do they ask for? It says, grant your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. Now, I love that. Because I want you to realize something. The, the subject of their prayer there, that's not it. Uh, the, the subject of their prayer there was not boldness. Boldness was secondary. Right? Oh, it is. Nope, it's not. Can you go back two verses? Verse 20. Oh, that went in a different direction. It's okay. I'll read it from here. <laughs> that was a couple, a little bit more than two verses, my friend, but that's okay. Um, Grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. The focus of their prayer, what they were asking God for, was grant us to speak your word. That was their first desire. And with it, Lord, give us boldness. But here's the thing. They were able to pray eagerly, and they were able to pray for boldness, not so that, well, if I get boldness, then I'll proclaim it, but because they had already resolved in their hearts to do it. They had already set in their hearts that they were going to go out. Well, how do I know that? Well, because they were already doing it. Right? They already had it set in their hearts to do so. Now they're asking God to empower the work that's ahead of them. And as I was thinking of this, it reminded me of a story from Daniel. Is everybody familiar with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being thrown into the fire? They said something very interesting. This stuck with me a couple years ago. I've never been able to get it out of my heart and my head. And in Daniel 3, 16 through 18, it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king. Okay, let me back up. So the king built this giant statue, probably of himself, who knows, made out of gold. And everybody had to come bow down and worship it whenever he blew a trumpet. And these three men, being Jews, refused. Punishment? Death. Right? So here in verses 16 through 18, it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. See, he had given them another chance to bow down. He said, we don't even have need to answer you. If that is the case, if you're going to throw us into this fire, listen to this. Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. Now, this is where it gets really interesting. They just said, our God will deliver us. Verse 18. But if not, but if not, 
Let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. What are they saying? They, these men have already set in their hearts. They have resolved within themselves that they will serve and fear God and God alone, regardless of the circumstance. And so they tell the king, our God will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we're still going to serve him and him alone. That is a bold faith. My God will deliver me. But even if he does not, I will still be faithful. It's a very, very bold faith. But it's the faith that comes from a heart who has already had those decisions made. Right? See, these, Peter and John had that type of faith. They had already been proclaiming the word in verse 20. It says, for we cannot but speak the things which we have already seen and heard. They said they could not help but proclaim these things. They had put their eyes on Jesus to reach out to the lost just as he did. And so having resolved in their hearts to go, they were just asking him to supply the boldness and give the opportunity as they went. This was not a prayer, Lord, if you give us boldness, we will go. Lord, if you give us words, we will go. They had already set their minds that they were going, and they were asking God to empower them along the way. Does that make sense? And it's the same thing with those three in Daniel. They had set their heart that they were going to follow the Lord, and they had faith he was going to show up, but just in case he didn't, they let him know that they would serve him anyways. That's resolve. And that's the secret of following Jesus is to have resolve in our hearts. So I looked up the word resolve for y'all. And the word resolve means this. It means being fully determined or firmly determined to do something. It's very simple. Right? Synonyms of that is determined, hell-bent. That's kind of an interesting one. Okay? I think that's a little bit uh, ironic. But intent or set. Set. You know, I asked you, are you willing to live for Jesus? The only way to honestly answer that with a yes is if throwing everything out of your life in order to keep that commitment has already been set and instilled in your heart. Over finances, over your family, over, I don't know, hot Cheetos, whatever you... I don't know. It's pretty limited on things. I don't know. Over everything. So they had resolved in their hearts to proclaim the words, and they're asking, Lord, give us boldness as we go. Let us speak your word. But notice how they asked. So it says uh, at the end of verse 29, that with all boldness they, they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus you know we've talked about this before but you know the gospel of Christ is a lot more than Jesus loves you and doesn't want you to go to hell right 
is he has healing for your heart, for your soul, and for your body. He has provision for all of your needs. He loves you and wants to have an intimate relationship with you. The gospel is much more than Jesus loves you. And you know, the, probably the easiest way for uh, people to believe that would be to see it, don't you think? And so they prayed, Lord, let us speak your word by reaching out your hand to heal and to do signs and wonders. I wonder how much more confident we would be to pray, to, to pray for people in those ways if we started off our days asking for God to send us out and proclaim his word in his power. Just a thought. So they wanted to speak his word. They wanted to be his witnesses, but they wanted to do it in a way, the same way we need to. We need to put people in a position where God can declare himself to them. Does that make sense at all to anybody here? Let's, we have to put people in a place where God can declare himself to them. Okay? And then finally in Acts 4.31, and it says, And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. So in closing, you know, there's a, there's a verse that says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Very simple verse, but I, I love it. It's just a good reminder. And so these people, they came and they were drawn close to him in faith as a body, right, with resolved hearts. And the Lord answered them in this whole room. Um, let's see, it says the whole room was shaken, right, and they were filled. Now, this is interesting because in, in Acts 2, verse 4, when the Holy Spirit came the first time, it says, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. So they were filled there, right? Same people. Acts 4, 8, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, and he began to preach. So they were filled there. And again, in verse 29, or I'm sorry, in 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were filled again there. And again and again and again, they were filled with the Spirit, and they were enabled to go out and serve the Lord. And here's the thing, guys. This, let me ask you something. How many of you right now are just tired, just in general, just tired, right? I know half the people in here are sleeping, right? Like Amber. I mean, uh, <coughs> can we edit that out of the recording? No. Yeah. Life will take its toll on you, man. You get tired. You get discouraged. Right? You get worn out in all kind mentally, physically, emotionally. Sometimes it's just the day-to-day -day life, and sometimes it's the enemy coming against you. But it's really easy to get dragged down and dragged out. And then instead of pushing forward, you want to you just want to go home. Right? It's easier to just go home and just not do anything. But that is why we have to be pursuing Jesus, not works or, or anything other than just Jesus, first and foremost, every single day. And we have to be coming back to him day after day, coming together as a body, praying together, pr simply praising him. 
and asking him to fill our hearts, fill our souls full with his spirit so that we can be renewed and we can go out in power, right? And the day by day, just being filled and making a resolve in your hearts on how it is that we can follow Christ in our circumstances. So guys, let's go ahead and pray together and let's ask Jesus to to come in and move out your worries. Ask Jesus to move out your weary hearts. Ask him to to move out your your frustrations and your discouragement and let's ask him to fill us with the fruits of his spirit and the fullness of his spirits. Because I know some of the people in here who have kids are probably worn out today too. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that that you're good and that you love us, Father, and that you're here. And I thank you, Jesus, that every day you have something new for us. But Lord, that every day in some small way we can find rest in you as well. And Father, as much as I want everybody in this room to to have a deep, committed resolve in their heart to, to, re- to follow you. Lord, I also want them to find all the peace and goodness that comes through you. So, Lord, we just pray together tonight that, Lord, you would take our, <laughs> our tiredness, you would take our hurts, you would take our brokenness, you would take the discouragement that's fallen apart upon us, upon us, Lord, that you would take all these things, Lord, that you would remove them and that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you'd fill us again with the fruits, Father. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that we would be blessed with peace, Lord, with joy, with kindness, with goodness, with faithfulness and all of those fruits tonight. So, Lord, we just lay down our our hearts uh, at your feet. And, Father God, as you renew us, I ask that you give us also a renewed passion and a renewed faithfulness. Lord, everybody here has something different, slightly different, that you're putting on their heart and calling them out into. And I just pray that you give them a diligence to seek it out and to perform it. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.